RP Fighting Blindness, number 105, Winter 2002, the newsletter of the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society. Your readers are Susie Smith, Lynn Clifton, Tony Mayston and Terry Penny. We are all members of the Old Jailers Music and Drama Group from Buckingham. In this issue, editorial, secretary's notes, gift aid, AGM 2003, RI conference, welfare notes, research news, blind panic, sailing, Blackpool, brown horse, auto sleeper, branch news, letters, obituary. BRPS is grateful to Lloyd's TSP PLC for sponsorship of this newsletter. Under our system for providing you with the taped version of the BRPS newsletters, you no longer need to return the tapes after you have listened to them. British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society Registered Charity number 271729 Honorary Secretary, Mrs Linda Cantor, MBE, BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18 1GZ, Telephone 01280 Office Inquiries, Email info at brps.org.uk And the website www.brps.org.uk Welfare Manager, Mrs Anne Fisher, 4 Middle Street, Thriplow, near Royston, Hearts, SG87RD, telephone number 01763 Helpline number 01280860363 Membership subscriptions Single membership £10 Subscriptions are due on the 1st of January and should be made out to BRPS and sent to the Secretary at BRPS PO Box 350 Buckingham MK18 1GZ. Any donations above the £10 subscription will be most welcome and received with grateful thanks. Braille copies. Please contact the office if you need your newsletter in Braille. Editorial by Selwyn Higgins. The good news emerging from this year's Retina International Conference in Japan is that you are now very close to clinical trials on several potential treatments for certain retinal dystrophies, RP in its many forms being among them. The bad news is that this next phase is going to cost a lot of money. At the risk of sounding like a film director, we are talking megabucks. We are reaching the stage where the many RP societies around the world cannot hope to finance the whole programme unaided, and we shall have to gain the support of governments and pharmaceutical companies. We shall have to convince them that the work is worthwhile and that it is feasible. In addition, I think it will help our cause if we can persuade them that patient organisations such as ours are dedicated and making every possible effort to achieve our objectives. This is where every member counts. It is vital that we keep up the fundraising effort. It is us and our families who will eventually gain. We have seen some brilliant efforts over the years, some most ingenious, but everyone can help in some way. Perhaps the easiest is by helping your local branch with a street or store collection. So if you are asked to turn out and give a hand for a few hours, please say yes. We hear so many branch fundraisers say, if only we had had more collectors out. Don't leave it all to the regulars, join in. Amongst other things, you'll meet a lot of friends. By the way, if you know of someone with RP in your area who is not a member, why not persuade them to join? We offer them the chance to join the fight to save our site. Over the past years, the news has been good, and I sincerely hope that it will be even better next year. So on that note, I wish you all a very happy Christmas, and hope you will be able to look forward to the coming years with the knowledge that we are going to get there, and that we are going to win. Secretary's Notes, Linda Cantor 
Early in October, Sophie Montgomery organised a sale of art at the Cromwell Hospital in London. Three artists had very kindly agreed to donate a percentage of the price of their pictures to our charity. The Cromwell Hospital hosted a very enjoyable reception so that guests could mingle with the artists and examine the paintings. Here at the office, we are constantly moved by the diverse and ingenious methods employed in order to raise funds for our medical research. There are many unsung but not unappreciated heroes amongst you and I would like to include everyone who reads this in my sincere thanks for everything they do to help further our cause. Kate, Yvonne, Terry and I join together to wish you all a happy and peaceful Christmas and New Year. P.S. Can I draw your attention to the new email and website addresses on page two? Are You Looking a Gift Horse in the Mouth by Terry Penny? Under the gift aid scheme, the inland revenue will add £25 to every £100 received by the Society from UK taxpayers. Through this, the Society in 2001-2 was able to claim an extra £12,300. If you are a UK taxpayer, you can help to make this even more in future at no further cost to yourself. Here are some ways you can help. Subscriptions. Please tick the appropriate box on your subscription renewal form, which is enclosed with this issue. If you pay by standing order, a note or telephone call to the office is all that is necessary. Donations. When sending a donation to the office or your branch, please let them know that you are a taxpayer. This also applies if your donation is made in lieu of birthday or wedding anniversary presents, Christmas cards, floral tributes, etc. Don't forget to remind your friends about gift aid if you ask them to donate on your behalf. Sponsored events. The office can supply you with special forms for use by taxpaying sponsors. Exceptions. We cannot reclaim tax on money from can collections or in any situation where the original donors cannot be identified. For more information, ring Terry on 01280 821 334. Remember, thinking gift aid can help the society benefit even more from your generosity. AGM 2003 by Selwyn Higgins I realise that it is early to start talking about the 2003 AGM, but the reason for this very advanced notice is that some members may wish to combine it with a few days' holiday. The AGM on the 21st of June will be in Bournemouth. Our hosts will be the Dorset and Hampshire branches who have booked some excellent facilities at Bournemouth University. The reception area is light and spacious and the lecture theatre has comfortable raked seats. The university is very easily accessed by road and has ample free parking right by the front door. For those who would like to book accommodation for a few days in Bournemouth or Poole, Adrian Harris has obtained plenty of information from the tourist office and invites anyone needing information to call her on 02380 476894. For those wishing to obtain brochures, etc., the Bournemouth Accommodation Desk is on 01202 451 700. The two towns have a wide range of accommodation to suit all price preferences. If you prefer self-catering, there are several chalet and caravan parks in the area, and if you tow a touring caravan, there are some excellent sites in the nearby New Forest, Bournemouth, by the way, now boasts blue flag quality on seven miles of its beaches. See you by the pier. I'll be the one with the rolled up grey flannels, sandals with black socks and a white handkerchief knotted at four corners on my head. The Retina International Conference in Japan by Stephen Jones, BRPS Retina International Representative. The Retina International 12th World Congress was held in Japan from 1st to 4th of August and consisted of two days of business sessions for the official representatives from the various member societies around the world and two days of open conference named Eye on the Future. The actual location was Chiba on Tokyo Bay and our hosts in the Japanese RP Society did a wonderful job in organising an enormous event with great efficiency, combined with traditional Japanese politeness and good humour. Retina International now has 22 countries which are full members, and more than a dozen others that are in various stages of seeking full membership. The latest country to be accepted as a full member is Brazil, 
and it is good to see that membership is gradually spreading around the globe because RP is a condition found among all peoples in all parts of the world and we have a common purpose in defeating it. The Eye on the Future conference was attended by well over 1,000 people, most of them Japanese, but also others from every continent in the world. Plenary sessions were held in both English and Japanese, while there was also a choice of many side meetings, held in either language according to your preference. The guest speakers included many of the big names from among the scientific community around the world, including our own Professor Alan Bird. As usual, the tone of the scientific presentations was very positive, with reports of advances on many fronts in the laboratory, a few of which are now leading on to the long process of clinical trials. I will not attempt the hazardous task of trying to summarise these scientific presentations, but I have brought back tapes of most of the main sessions and passed them to Selwyn Higgins, who will be in a much better position to provide a layman's summary for BRPS members. As well as the serious stuff, these RI gatherings are also a lot of fun. My most abiding memory from this conference will be the dinner, where all the 650 people present decided to join in with the Japanese folk dancers' musicians who were providing the entertainment. After a couple of glasses of sake and other beverages, reinforced by a fine dinner of raw fish and rice, everyone put on their vivid yellow robes, something like a judo jacket, and proceeded around the vast room in a giant conga, happily ignoring the mayhem of chairs and tables being scattered in all directions. A photograph shows a group of delegates taking a breath of air. It is only a shame that so few BRPS members were able to participate in the conference. I only met one other BRPS member in Chiba, and obviously the cost of travel to Japan was a considerable deterrent. But good news, the next RI conference will be much closer to home. In fact, it will be in the Netherlands, in a seaside town named Nordwijk, between Amsterdam and The Hague, on 2nd to 3rd of July 2004. You will be able to obtain updated details on the Retina Netherlands website, www.retinanederland.org. I understand that some BRPS branches are already making preliminary plans to make the journey, and I hope that many more of you either organised individually or through branches, will be making the short hop across the North Sea. These conferences really are an excellent opportunity to become better educated about progress in overcoming degenerative retinal diseases, whilst at the same time enjoying the company of like-minded people from all parts of the world. For the more adventurous amongst you, the RI conference in 2006 is scheduled to take place in Rio de Janeiro. Now that should be a party. Now it's your editor's turn to report on the research news that emerged from the conference. Over the past 20 years, considerable progress has been made in the laboratory and the task now is to move from research at the laboratory bench to the clinic through medical therapy programme that at the end results in positive clinical trials. The main purpose of the many years of laboratory work is to establish the basic causes of the disease and to establish proof of principle for any treatment that may be envisaged. For clinical trials to take place, we will require the involvement of pharmaceutical companies working alongside existing retinal dystrophy scientists and clinicians. Clinical trials can be very expensive. Readers will recall how much time was spent in the early stages searching for the genes responsible for the many forms of RP. Over 80 gene mutations are now known, but this work of searching for genes is vital because no gene means no prospect of gene therapy. Before moving to any therapy, proof of principle must be established, and it is safe to say that this has now been established, either partly or fully, in the following areas. Transplantation of epithelium cells, pharmaceutical therapy, chip implantation and gene therapy. Looking at these in turn, Transplantation has been shown to work in animal models for epithelium cells, but so far there's been no successful transplantation of photoreceptor cells. There is a linkage here to stem cells and their potential to grow new photoreceptor cells, and this area of work is reported in research news in this issue. 
Pharmaceutical therapy involves the use of an agent to prolong the life of photoreceptor cells. Readers will recall early reports that programmed cell death, apoptosis, is a primary cause of cell death, and agents called survival factors have been shown to inhibit the effects of apoptosis. Great strides have been made in the field of chip implantation, and techniques for implanting photodiode chips in such a way they are not rejected have now been developed. Proof of principle again, but the next stage is to cause the chip to produce meaningful pictures in the brain. Gene therapy is a very wide field and involves the implantation of corrective genetic material into the appropriate cells in such a way that correctly functioning photoreceptor cells will be produced. Over the past two years, there's been significant progress in this area and sight has actually been improved in several animal models, which are natural RP sufferers. When gene therapy clinical trials on humans are allowed, the approach will take two forms. In the case of the many types of RP caused by inheritance of the recessive gene, the approach will be to provide a copy of the normal healthy gene. This has been shown to work with the RD mouse since 1996. In the case of the various forms of dominant RP, the technique will be to disable the faulty dominant gene. This will be done using the small pieces of RNA called ribosomes. The technique was described in newsletter number 85 in 1997 and the following year it was successfully applied to rescue photoreceptor cells in a rat with dominant RP. It seems fairly clear from the success with animal models that gene therapy will not just slow down retinal dystrophic diseases, but can actually restore visual function. Remember Robin Alley's recent success with the RD mice and Ackland's work on the Briard dog. Two years later, these dogs are still seeing very well. So when do we see clinical trials? The keywords here are safety and money. The clinical trial is research that involves the administration of a test regimen to humans. It has to be carried out in stages to ensure the utmost safety. It will only be permitted when the national regulatory authorities are convinced that all other means of checking safety have been thoroughly tried. When approval is given, phase one is designed to determine the safest dose of treatment and how well it is tolerated in a small sample of patients. Phase 2 will determine whether the treatment has any positive effect. Phase 3 is designed to evaluate fully the effectiveness of the treatment. We have proof of principle of many techniques using animal models, but the move to human clinical trials is going to be very expensive. We are talking many millions of pounds. We are approaching the stage where we shall have to convince large pharmaceutical companies of the value of such trials, and to convince governments of the need for such things as screening centres. It will probably involve coordinated international approaches on several fronts, and this is where our membership of Retina International will prove vital. Upon his return from Japan, Stephen presented me with a box of tapes of the proceedings, through which I am still working my way. There are certain tapes which I feel sure will be of interest to members, and I think the best way of handling this will be for me to pass copies of these tapes to branch chairmen, who will be able to play them at branch meetings or use them in other ways that may be appropriate. School Fundraising by Colin MacArthur In the past, the Society has benefited by several thousand pounds from being the chosen charity of schools. Many schools have a charity committee which decides the charity to benefit from the fundraising activities over the year. If you know of any young people in your area or branch, please ask them to put the society forward to be considered by the school committee. Your local branch will assist with letters and information about the society and, if necessary, provide a speaker to address assembly. If you do not have a branch in your area, please contact me on 017 Welfare Notes by Anne Fisher If you are 60 or over and on a qualifying benefit, you may be entitled to free insulation and heating improvements to make your home warmer and more energy efficient. To find out if you are eligible, call the scheme where you live. Calls are free of charge. In England, 0800 181 667. Wales, 0800 316 2815 Northern Ireland 0800 181 667 Scotland 0800 
316-1653. Action for Blind People and the Royal London Society for the Blind fund Workbridge. Initiated in 1997, Workbridge aims to bridge the gap between unemployment and employment for visually impaired people. Support is provided for people seeking employment or self-employment. Specialist vocational guidance and support is made available to all clients, which then enables VIP to gain employment. Retain employment and progress their chosen careers. There are four main areas of which their work focuses. Open Employment Workstep Supported Employment Programme Open Self-Employment Supported Self-Employment Blind Homeworker Scheme The Equipment Pool and Technical Employment Support Advisor assist this work. Open Self-Employment Support and Assistance is offered to help VI entrepreneurs to set up and develop their business. The Blind Homeworker Scheme is sponsored by local authorities and administered by Workbridge. Employment support advisors provide job seekers with guidance through the recruitment process and into sustainable work. Assistance is given in developing skills to get work, enabling clients to maximise their freedom of choice and realise their full potential. In addition to their services, the Workstep programme provides further support and assistance to job seekers and employers. Workstep is particularly helpful in retention situations and varying support packages are available. If you would like further information on the Workbridge service, call Barbara Morton on 020-7635-4979 or email barbara underscore m at afbp.org. Moorfields Welfare Worker For several years, one of our members, Barbara Norton, has been attending two clinics a week at Moorfields as a welfare counsellor to those newly diagnosed with RP. Until recently, her expenses have been covered by a Section 64 grant, but this ceased, and for just over a year, the costs have been covered by BRPS. During this period, our trustees have been negotiating with Moorfields, under whose supervision Barbara operates, to take on this funding role. We should like to pass on our thanks to Moorfields, who have now agreed to take on this responsibility. Members may be interested to see the very helpful letter received from the Moorfields Chief Executive by our Chairman. Dear Sir Alan, Re, counselling role provided by Barbara Norton. Firstly, can I apologise for the delay in finding a solution to the the funding of Barbara's role at Moorfields. This delay is in no way related to the marvellous work that Barbara does, but more to do with the financial climate we operate in. I am happy now to commit to support Barbara's work here, and we will take this forward with her personally. Can I take this opportunity to thank you and your society for the tremendous support you have provided to Barbara and indeed in so many other ways to the work in this hospital. Yours sincerely, I.A.J. Balmer, Chief Executive. Research News. Implants. Perhaps I might begin this time by thanking those several members who have sent me newspaper cuttings and other information on photodiode chips inserted into the retina of several patients. Much of the discussion in the newspaper centres around the work of Dr Alan Chow, whose work was described in newsletter number 97, Winter 2000. So far as I can ascertain, there's been no major change since then, although the good news is that the implants have still not been rejected by the eye, which is in itself a considerable achievement. Dr Chow reports there had been no degeneration, infection, inflammation or detachment, and that the three patients are feeling no discomfort. It seems that a major obstacle, that of attaching photodiode chips to the retina, has been overcome. There is still much work to be done before meaningful pictures are produced, but it is obviously an area we should be watching carefully. Stem cells. I've received a very good article on stem cell research from Omar Pathmanaban, a research scientist at Guy's, King's and St Thomas's School of Medicine in London. The paper is too long to reproduce in total in research news, so I plan to produce it as a BRPS information booklet. But as an indication of its content, the following paragraphs are from its opening section. What is a stem cell? 
Confusingly, there are many different cells encompassed by the term stem cell. Each has different properties, functions and living environments. Additionally, different stem cells exist at various time points during the individual's lifespan, from conception to old age. This means that stem cells can be routinely found in embryos, fetuses and adults. All these stem cells have in common the capability to extensively multiply long-term, producing more identical stem cells, a process called self-renewal. Also, while stem cells themselves are unspecialised, they can produce cells such as retinal photoreceptors or other characteristic cells of the body, which adopt specialised shapes and functions. Such specialisation is called differentiation. Why might stem cells be useful for treating retinal degenerations? In some retinal diseases, photoreceptor cells die due to an intrinsic abnormality and or due to disruption or death of supportive cells in the retinal pigment epithelium. However, some other parts of the body can cope with similar cell death. This is because other existing cells in the tissue can divide in a regulated way to create new cells that replenish the remaining stock. Unfortunately, this is not the case for mature retinal photoreceptors. This is why stem cells might be very handy, because some of them do have the capacity to divide and form new photoreceptors. It is therefore hoped that they might be harnessed in the future to replenish the ailing retina of photoreceptors. How might stem cells be used to treat retinal diseases? They could be surgically transplanted into the eye or drugs could be developed to activate suitable populations of stem cells naturally present within the patient's body. With respect to transplantation, stem cells may be triggered to partially or fully specialise into photoreceptors in the laboratory before being transplanted into the eye. Once in the retina, it's hoped that the new retinal cells will mature and incorporate within the existing tissue. This process may be helped naturally by the degenerating retina, which emits signals into the local environment of the eye to indicate its state of damage. Blind Panic, or How I Learned to Live with RP by Pam Tetley. I don't care how many letters he had after his name. The consultant who diagnosed my retinitis pigmentosa had all the bedside manner of a flea. There is no treatment and no cure, he told me. It's inherited, it's progressive, and you will go blind. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Well, no, he didn't actually say that last bit, but I was dismissed just as firmly. As I staggered back along the walk of shame to the waiting room, his kindly registrar intercepted me. He gave me the details of how to contact BRPS, thank goodness, and handed me a couple of pamphlets suggesting I came back any time if I needed further help. Seeing from my hospital notes that I also had a totally unrelated heart condition, he told me cheerfully not to worry about going completely blind. With your heart, you'll probably be dead before then. Bless him, he meant well. I really can't remember much of the next week, which I suppose is what happens when you go into shock. There were a lot of tears shed, of disbelief, rage and downright misery. I think I discovered the true meaning of the phrase, blind panic. And then I thought, hang on a minute, what has actually changed here? I can see just as well as I could the day before I learned I had RP. All that has happened is that someone has hung a label around my neck. From that day onward, my fighting spirit started to return. That was 15 years ago. OK, my eyesight isn't as good as it was last year, and then it was probably a bit worse than it had been the year before that. But I don't live my life year to year. I live it day to day like everyone else. And viewed like that, there's just no difference at all. Like anyone who has had a medical shock, either to themselves or to someone close to them, my RP has acted as a huge wake-up call. My priorities have totally changed and my new motto is do it now. Although I'm old enough to know better, my particular interest has always been in rock music. I travel by train all over the country to see my favourite bands perform, often staying overnight in strange towns and even stranger hotels. An RP hasn't stopped me at all, just made me plan more thoroughly. No bad thing for a woman on her own. 
my able-sighted friends and family have no idea how satisfying it is to organise and successfully execute a solo expedition. To them it would be routine, but to me it's a challenge met and conquered. Well, yes, things don't always go according to plan, and on occasions I have ended up in casualty departments at midnight having gash limbs attended to, but I still wear my scars with pride. After all, it's much more personal than an autographed programme. And then, along with the why-don't-you-watch-where-you're-goings that we all learn to live with, there are the unexpected kindnesses of complete strangers. A special mention here to the lady in boots, who ripped all the packaging off their torches and led me through the staff-only door to a dark alleyway, where we shone them all to help me choose the one with the brightest beam. And thank you to the guard on a recent GNER train from Leeds to King's Cross, who said it was too crowded for me in standard accommodation, picked up my suitcase and settled me into a first-class seat. We all start from the same diagnosis, maybe from where you are right now, but believe me, it's not the end of the world, just the start of a different way of looking at it. That is the end of side one of your tape. Please turn over to listen to side two. Opportunities by Peter Eckersley. The London Sailing Project is a charitable trust that mainly offers sail training to teenagers and young people. However, for the past few years they have run special voyages for handicapped people. They use their 75-foot catch Donald Searle for visually impaired trips. She carries a crew of 20, of whom nearly half are VIs. One has the chance to helm, join in with sail handling and other deck work. And of course, the galley needs its share. I have sailed with them on several occasions, both along the south coast and across the channel. For instance, I was lucky enough to be part of a mixed VI and sighted crew when the yacht was entered in the small ships race from Weymouth to St Marlow this summer. We won our class. Again, recently, we enjoyed an exciting cruise from the base on the Hamble to Enfleur and then returning via Weymouth and Cowes. In 2003, they are hoping to offer a taster weekend and hopefully two separate weeks, one for less experienced folk and one more adventurous trip. Folks from their mid-teens upwards, welcome. For further details of VI trips, contact Chris Webster on 01689891715. Email Christopher.Webster 
at ukonline.co.uk. Address 38 Silverdale Road, Petswood, Orpington, Kent, BR5 1NJ or the LSP office on 01489 885098. Give it a go, it's great fun. Retinal Awareness Group, RAG Weekend by Dennis Haig, Friday the 21st to Sunday the 23rd of March 2003. Plans are well advanced for the weekend. Action for blind people on welfare benefits and RNIB information technology will be part of Friday afternoon's programme. The usual group of discussions in the evening with feedback, part of Saturday morning, Professor Alan Bird will be speaking on RP and MD on Saturday afternoon with the usual quiz in the evening. Sunday morning we are to have a geneticist from Manchester Royal Eye Infirmary. Booking is going well, but there is still room, so reserve your place now by telephoning the Hotel Sheraton, Queen's Promenade at Blackpool, on 01253 352 723, stating RAG Weekend. The cost is £85 for the whole weekend, including meals, with the exception of Saturday lunch. Come and meet up with people of a similar impairment and relax in comfortable surroundings. Have a swim in the pool or sauna. Even have a ride on the big one. For further information, please contact Margaret Townsend on 01727 758636 or Dennis Haig at 23 Holland Gardens, Fleet Hants, GU139NE, enclosing a stamped addressed envelope. The Parents Link group will meet during this weekend and if you have any ideas for discussion or would like more details, please phone Beryl Duggan on 01244 680463. Brown Horse Charity Walk 2002 Regular customers of the Brown Horse at Coley, along with their families and friends, took part in a charity walk to raise money for the society. The Three Peaks, a 24-mile circuit of Penny Ghent, Wernside and Ingleborough in the Yorkshire Dales, provided a testing challenge for the walkers as they set out on the first Sunday in May. The weather was perfect for the 26 participants, 21 of whom completed the walk within the target time of 12 hours and as a result qualify for membership of the Three Peaks Club. All age groups are represented. 11-year-old Luke Chambers of North Orham being the youngest to complete the walk. The £1,677 raised will go towards funding research into a cure for this currently untreatable condition, along with providing support for its sufferers. The choice of charity being particularly appropriate, as Vic Southwart, the landlord of the Brown Horse, along with his brother Van and son Ryan, suffer from RP. The brother of Steve King, one of the participants, has recently been diagnosed as suffering from this condition. The presentation night took place at the Brown Horse on July the 14th. The evening featured a quiz and a raffle, the proceedings from which were donated towards the final total. Brian Jeffrey, who accepted the cheque, presented by Luke Chambers on behalf of the Society, attended the evening. Blind Vision by Chris Jackson I am blind, but I can see through my mind's eye. When I hear, feel touch, smell the scent of my surroundings. Sometimes a green landscape is formed, fields emerge, and as I run through the seasons, I feel the atmosphere change, a nip in the air, warm sunshine, rain as it falls on my face when the clouds cry, the silence before an electric storm which shakes the ground beneath my feet, and when the wind howls, the leaves rustle in the trees, until eventually they form a carpet for me to tread, a path. Will there soon be snow that squeaks? I wonder. Voices create shape, make an impression, form an outline of the people around me, a vision. I step out of darkness, 
Don't feel solitary. Colour fills my world, takes away the stark reality with which I am faced. I can escape. When you talk to me, I follow the glimmer of light. Night becomes day, for I have been compensated through loss of sight. Somehow I can see more clearly than ever before. The pattern of life, feel its rhythm. Auto Sleeper Owners Club Rally by Dot Smith One cold, wet day last winter I received an invitation to go camping, but this was no ordinary camping trip. A delighted Doris Mitchell, one of our branch members, said that the Auto Sleeper Owners Club had accepted her application for us to be the nominated charity for their annual rally at the Three Counties Showground in Malvern. Happily for me, the rally was to be in July 2002, when hopefully the weather would be glorious, or at least dry. When the weekend arrived, my husband Steve and I set off with our trailer tent and headed for Malvern. The weather was sunny and warm, and we hoped that it would prove a profitable weekend for RP. What we hadn't anticipated was the warmth of welcome we received from the committee and members of the club. All had been strangers before we arrived, except Doris and George, of course. They seemed to anticipate our nervousness at not knowing anyone, and we soon felt totally at ease. The money was all raised over a day and a half. There were various stalls, including a bottle stall, cake stall, bric-a-brac stall and a book stall. There was a giant raffle and also quizzes in the evening, all of which raised money for RP. The items sold and raffled were all donated over the weekend by members of the club and exhibitors and stallholders at the rally. We were quite overwhelmed by the generosity shown. We saw people arriving at the bottle stall next to our RP store with bags of bottles to donate and the following day those same people were buying tickets, presumably not to win their own bottles back. Well, I hear you ask, how much was raised? The final total was kept under wraps until the presentation. This was made to one of the BRPS trustees, Lord Birdwood, on Sunday morning, a staggering £3,288. We were all very touched as the cheque was handed over and the amount revealed. Lord Birdwood thanked everyone for all their efforts and generosity and spoke briefly on how the money would be used. What started as a fundraising trip for RP turned out for us to be much more than that. We had been a part of a very successful fundraising event. Many more people were now aware of RP and we had a great fun weekend. We left feeling all the richer having experienced the warm, friendly and generous nature of everyone we met. Oh, and yes, the sun shone for the whole weekend. In case you're wondering, an auto sleeper is a type of motorhome. Branch News Cambridge Branch by Marion Mansfield By the time you read this, we will have had another Branch AGM in November. A recent car boot sale made £40 and our Cambridge City Street collection made £630. We shall be holding a dance in Thriplow on 18th of January and we are hoping to see many of you there. For details, phone Anne on 01763 Croydon Branch, Joan Racania. The committee wishes everyone a very happy Christmas and a prosperous New Year. Our next group meeting will be on Saturday the 18th of January 2003 at 2pm in the committee room at Purley Memorial Hospital, Brighton Road, Purley. Our guest speaker will be Richard James, manager of CVAB. All members and family friends are welcome. For further details, please ring Joan on 020-8660-8164. Essex and Suffolk branch, Val Benwell. I apologise if it's raining and blowing a gale as you read this, but maybe it will cheer you up to be reminded that Sunday the 29th of September was a glorious day. 35 of our branch members, friends and relatives and pets can testify to that. We were striding for sight along South End Seafront. We started at the Shore House in Thorpe Bay and finished at the Ship Inn, Old Lee where we finished the day with a buffet and musical entertainment for the evening. Of course, there's absolutely no significance in the fact that these are both pubs. 
The sun brought out quite a few people for a post-prandial stroll, and they generously put a hundred pounds in our collecting boxes. Together with donations made for entry to the musical event, proceeds from a tombola and raffle, and advance sponsorship, Colin was able to take home six hundred pounds. There is still a lot of sponsor money to come, so it looks like being a really successful day's work. Thanks to all who took part. Other people who generously gave of their time to support our efforts along the seafront were the Mayor of Southend, Councillor Alan Crystal, and MP David Ames. The Mayor has generously offered the use of Porter's, the mayoral home, for a fundraising event. Colin will be letting us know more about that in the future. Just to prove that Colin is tireless in his fundraising events, he's arranged a lunchtime entertainment with John Joseph. This will take place at the Ship Club Room in Old Lee on Sunday, the fifteenth of December. The event will start at one p.m. and tickets are extremely limited; only eighty will be available. If you would like to book a table, please phone Colin. Tickets will be ten pounds each to include entertainment and buffet. A cash bar will be available. Another way of cashing in on the season for the benefit of research into RP is to buy some of your seasonal goods through our fundraising catalogue. Copies of this are also available from Colin. This has been a nice little earner in previous years. It would be good if we could make it so again. Colin can be contacted on fifty-five Silver Sea Drive, Westcliff on Sea, Essex, SS zero nine XD. Telephone o one seven o two seven one o five one eight. Email Colin at Macarthur Park. dot demon. dot co. dot uk. As always, we are keen to hear from members who have ideas for fundraising or offers of help. Maybe you could consider passing a collecting box round in front of the port when you have your Christmas dinner. How about some carol singing? I find it hard to believe that we are drawing to the end of another successful fundraising year, but wish you all a very happy Christmas and a happy and healthy New Year. The news has been so good lately that we may not have many more years of fundraising to go. Thank you all for your efforts over the year. Hampshire Branch, Martin Mulholland. Our collection year is nearly over, with only two collections now left to Asda Totten on the twenty-eighth and thirtieth of November. So far, we have managed to raise approximately eight thousand pounds in collections, which is a magnificent amount in the current economic climate. We have also had some significant contributions from individuals, and I would like to say a special thank you to Maureen and Mike Nicholas, General Buying and Selling. Deborah Garvey, Casual Clothes Day, Linda Lonsdale and her dog, Solo Supermarket Collection, and Elaine Higgins, Donation, to name but a few. By the time you read this, hopefully we will also have had a successful and well-attended AGM, and raised lots of money from our annual raffle. On behalf of the committee, I would also like to wish you all a very happy Christmas, and hopefully I will see you all at some time in two thousand and three. Norfolk Branch, Ted Booty. On a very warm Saturday in July, we held a collection at Budgeons Holt, which had been organised by David Wilding. A magnificent sum of three hundred eighty-five pounds was raised for research. On a not so very warm Saturday in August, members met at Ted and Gwen's for a barbecue, at which forty-eight pounds was raised by a raffle. Forty-two Kings Park was inundated on September seventeenth. By many generous people at Vic and Jean's coffee morning, an opportunity to meet friends and talk about old times, at the same time raising two hundred and sixteen pounds for research. An opportunity now to remind all members of our post-Christmas lunch at the Oaklands Hotel in Norwich on Saturday, nineteenth of January. For further information and to reserve your place, please contact Ted Booty, telephone number o one. Three six two six nine two five one zero, as soon as possible. The branch is alive and well, and is providing the support and opportunity for RP sufferers and their helper partner to talk together about matters of mutual interest. Useful telephone numbers: Welfare, Jean Row, o one three six two six nine four two seven one. Pat Crawford, o one. Nine five three, four eight three, four four three. Branch Chairman Ted Booty, o one three six two, six nine two, 
0800 Somerset Branch, Mike Phillips. In March, at the kind invitation of the Devon and Cornwall branch, some of our members travelled to Exeter to hear Professor John Marshall give an update on RP research. Our few dedicated collectors have been busy as usual this year, with collections held at Bridgewater, Taunton, Wellington and Yeovil. So far this year we have collected nearly £1,500. The collection at Yeovil was at the local B&Q store and was arranged by Brian Watmore, who is an employee there. Like other branches, we do rely on the faithful few to help on collections. Can I appeal to our younger members to spare an hour or two to help? At the BRPS AGM, a most encouraging message was conveyed on medical research. We are on the home straight, so please help us cross the winning line. In July, some members enjoyed a garden party at the home of Maureen and Harry in Burnham-on-Sea. These occasions are always popular, and on behalf of us all, thank you Maureen and Harry. Also, Maureen celebrated her 60th birthday this year, and in lieu of presents, received £295 for RP research. Well done, Maureen. Altogether, Maureen has had a busy year, as she also has her first guide dog called Hovis. The branch received the sum of £125 in lieu of flowers in memory of the late Mrs J.M. Matthews of Wells. At such a sad time, it is most kind of the family to remember our society. The committee send all members best wishes for Christmas and the New Year. West of Scotland branch, Ian McLenaghan. We have much pleasure in congratulating Willie Renfrew, our branch chairman, who has recently been elected to join the board of directors of the Glasgow and West Scotland Society for the Blind in Glasgow. He joins another honoured member, Mrs Gloria Murdoch, who's been director for over nine years. We wish them both well in the work they undertake. Hilary Davis, the branch's retired welfare officer, has been requested by the Scottish Executive to join the newly formed Access and Mobility Committee Scotland, which is working to improve the access for disabled people to all kinds of public transport in Scotland. I know from talking with Hilary that she would welcome input from any Scottish VI member with with comment and ideas on improving what is sometimes perfectly acceptable for our sighted colleagues but becomes quite ridiculous for us VIPs. Please contact her by email at hilary.c.davis at ukgateway.net. So here is your big chance, not just to whinge about something, but to put your ideas on how to improve the service for you and the other travelling members of the visually impaired public. We must thank Maria Davis and Tony Coffey, two employees of the international travel agents Hogg Robinson PLC, whose charity committee have generously sent us a cheque for £1,000 to help the research work. I remember with pride one of our most distinguished elder and generous members who, without a flicker of his eye, when asking for a donation from his friends, regularly quoted in the Scots tongue, If ye dinna ask, ye dinna get. To all members of our branch who work their proverbial socks off, friends of the branch who back us with our collections, and others who remain unnamed, but who behind the scenes, doctors and other hospital staff, a very big thank you for all you do for us. Working in District Branch, Dot Smith. Hi everyone, hope you're all done with your seasonal shopping and ready for Christmas. We're looking forward to our annual Christmas meal on the 14th of December with a change of venue this year. Our fundraising efforts were given a big boost recently when Sue Sims presented a cheque for £525 to our treasurer, Bob Hope. Readers may recall me mentioning Sue's climb of Helvellyn, Striding Edge, earlier in the year. Sue has a few more sponsors to collect from and hopes that the final total will top £600. Well done and thanks to Sue. The Auto Sleeper Owners Club annual rally managed to raise the amazing sum of £3,288 for RP and readers can read my article elsewhere in this issue. Our canal boat trip on the Basingstoke Canal in August was a great success. The trip lasted about an hour and a half and included commentary and a cream tea. We all had a super afternoon out and hope to arrange something similar next year. As I prepare this article, we are busy thinking up ideas for next year's meetings. 
So if anyone has any ideas or special requests for next year, please do give me a ring on 01256 782 Yorkshire Branch, Brian Jeffery. Well done, all you fundraisers, including York, Bradford, Hull, Bridlington, Bakewell, Chester, Mansfield, Chesterfield, Sheffield, Leeds, etc. You all know who you are. You have excelled yourselves. Well done. I have on your behalf sent to head office £11,000 and still more to come. A wonderful effort by the few dedicated collectors. But we need more help in all areas in 2003. I'm sure you'll find it interesting, so don't leave it to the few. Join in. David Stevens would like to thank his helpers at Morrison's Beverly Store, where £564 was raised. A special thanks to his friend John Dent and Scooby the Guide Dog. David needs help in 2003. A highlight worth a special mention is the Three Peaks Challenge, undertaken by the regulars of the Brown Horse Inn at Cody Halifax. This is covered in an article in this newsletter. A total of £1,677 was raised, and we thank all who took part. The Yorkshire Branch AGM will be on 5th of April 2003 at Centenary House, Leeds. Please make a note now and come along. The committee wish you all a Merry Christmas and a happy, healthy and prosperous New Year. Website. Jonathan Abro has asked me to remind members that he can place information regarding forthcoming branch events on the BRPS website, dates, contact phone numbers, etc. For more information, contact Jonathan on brps at jmabro.homechoice.co.uk. Letters from Marion Mansfield, Cambridge. May I take this opportunity to express grateful thanks to Barbara Norton and Hilary Davies for their dedication and valuable work at Moorfields and Gart Naval Hospitals. At a time when people are given traumatic and devastating news relating to sight loss, it is paramount that emotional and practical support is available. The day when I was registered blind is still fresh in my memory and Barbara's advice supported my distress and that of my husband. People still slip through the net at eye clinics and leave, unaware of the services and support they are entitled to. Information and support workers are valuable and essential within the multidisciplinary team. Why is it that the welfare needs of visually impaired people are not a higher priority for state funding? Do we need to shout louder? Modern Eyes Sue Allard, one of our members from Stroud, along with Viv Tumbrell, has started a magazine for visually impaired people called Modern Eyes. It is designed to help people living in the Gloucestershire area. It covers many topics, including local information, guidance on benefits and information on health matters, sport, hobbies, holidays and so on. Many of the subjects covered will be of interest to people living outside the area. The magazine makes a special point of keeping people up to date with the latest computer technology designed to help the visually impaired and encourages as many as possible to develop an interest in computers. It is produced in large print and braille and is available by email or disc. For more information, contact Sue Allard on 01453 757 or email Sue at modern-eyes.co.uk International Youth Group Delegate Retina International has set up a youth group which meets annually in a member country. Each country has been requested to nominate a youth representative who will act as a link between the group and young members in their own country. This will involve handling correspondence, emails, etc. If you would like to be considered as the UK youth representative, would you please send relevant details of yourself to the BRPS office? Obituary. The North Ants branch are sad to report the loss of member and friend Marge Heathcote. To all who knew her, she was a larger-than-life person, who many will not be surprised to know was for many years a serving police officer. When Marge first contacted the Society a few years ago, 
she was not finding it easy to come to terms with the diagnosis of retinitis pigmentosa and the possible increasing loss of her sight. The part that she found hardest to cope with was the idea of being unable to drive and losing the freedom that it gave her. She was a very sociable person and had a wealth of interest outside her home. However, she still managed to fit in being our treasurer for two years. Marge was very fond of travel and when finally her sight necessitated giving up her driving licence, she was one of the first who asked to join the trip to Canada for Vision Quest 2000. It was a country she had always wanted to visit and the added bonus of attending the World Conference made it a must. Her sight was really poor at night but for Rebecca and I, the fact that it was still good in daylight made her an invaluable member of the team. How often she helped us by leading small groups on excursions. Who of those who joined her on the visit to the botanical gardens in Niagara will easily forget it? Unfortunately, during last autumn, Marge became ill and ovarian cancer was diagnosed. At only 60, this was a huge blow. Helped by her immense faith and the doctors at her local hospital, she took a very positive attitude, underwent a six-month course of chemotherapy and seemed to be winning the battle. Over the months we had many laughs together and talked about going to Amsterdam in 2004. Tokyo this year had seemed just a bit too far away to venture and afford. After a recent stay at a police convalescent home in Oxfordshire, which she enjoyed immensely, Marge again became unwell. After a further short stay in hospital and transfer to the Cynthia Spencer Hospice, Marge died on Wednesday the 11th of September 2002. She will be sadly missed. Jill Kemp, Welfare. Legacies. Colin MacArthur. Due to such factors as the increase in home ownership over recent years, more and more people are taking the wise step of making a will. If you are in this position, could we ask that you might bear in mind BRPS as a possible beneficiary? You will know that one day your donation will go to a cause in which you believe. It is worth bearing in mind that bequests to a charity, such as BRPS, are completely exempt from inheritance tax. A helpful leaflet is available from the BRPS office. And finally, some of the phone numbers quoted in this issue. Adrian Harris, 02380 Bournemouth Information Office, 01202-451-700 Colin MacArthur 01702-710-518 Insulation Benefits For England 0800-952-0600 Wales 0800-316 2815 Northern Ireland 0800181667 Scotland 0800316163 Workbridge 0207635 London Sailing Project 01489 Eight eight five zero nine eight, Margaret Townsend, zero one seven two seven seven five eight six three six. Next newsletter, items for inclusion in the next newsletter, Spring two thousand three, must be with the editor by the tenth of January two thousand three. The editor's address, Mr. S. D. Higgins, fifty four Paddock Road, Newbury Barks. RG147DG That is the end of the newsletter. Please do not return the tape to the BRPS office. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it Why you would even say it blows All of the other reindeer Used to laugh and call him they never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, 
with your nose so bright? Why don't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him as they shouted out with glee. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all, of all? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, why you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph Join in any reindeer games Then one foggy Christmas Eve Santa came to say Rudolph, with that gleaming isthmus Why don't you guide my sleigh this Christmas? Then how the reindeer loved him As they shouted out with glee Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer You'll go down in history 